Let's do it. We ready? Hello and welcome to Business Without Bullshit. I am Andy Orion. Alongside me is my co-host Pippa Sturt. Hi, Andy. And today we are joined by Dominic Monkhouse. Hello, Dominic. Hello. Thank you for having a pronounceable name. I'm always very, very happy to have one. Oh, you could have, you could have screwed that up. I can't fuck you up Monkhouse. You could screw that up if you tried. He's Bob Monkhouse, one of the most famous entertainers. This guy. Anyway, Dominic is a business coach focusing on the science of CEO or managing director, I guess we might like to say in the UK, if we were being so inclined, and a leadership at team success. He is also the host of the podcast, The Melting Pot, and author of Fuck Plan B, How to Scale Your Technology Business Faster and Achieve Plan A, and Mind Your Fucking Business, uh, two excellently titled books. Congratulations. So, Dominic, a pleasure. And uh, I hope I hope all is going well. We always like to start with a simple question, which is what's keeping you up at night? Not very much. I try really hard not to be awake at night. But if it is, it's because I've something's occurred to me that it solves a problem for a client, which might seem really cheesy, but it's it actually... Does. <laughs> that is remarkably cheesy. First it off. does. It does. It's that, that's what happens. I'm, they say this is the problem I've got, and I just sort of start reading or listening to podcasts about the topic, and then often four o'clock in the morning, I wake up and go, "That's interesting." This is similar to tax, you know, similar to accounting. <laughs> no, it is. That's it. My dad was always talk about, you know, it's like it's always the middle of the night. Do you uh, are you a sort of problem solver by nature? Do you think is that your? Yes, I think so. That's the I'm inventive and have ideation. Dyslexic. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. 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 That makes so sense. Sounds can, very dyslexic. I can have a thousand ideas today. I don't care about any of them. I'll have another thousand tomorrow. If you don't like any of them, I don't care. Yeah. But I come up with loads of ideas. And is there a problem particularly you've solved recently that, that that's worth sharing at all? I worked with another group of 20 people the other day and they were not a team when they arrived. And the brief was, you've got two days, make us into a team. And they went away delighted. Why weren't they a team? I had worked with the executive team of this company before and this time this was the next 20 people down who are potentially the sort of C-suite replacements of the future. Right. And so biggest challenge was that the organization's in silos. And so this, these people knew each other mostly, but they saw their team as the department they were in rather than this cross-functional group. So and they're so, sort of immediate reports and they're immediate. Yeah. 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 And so it was like, how do, we, how do we get these people to think about the team? Because the biggest challenge the organization has is we are in silos. And therefore we either reinvent the wheel in every department or we just don't collaborate in any way shape or form which destroys customer satisfaction so they basically said you know you don't have a high performance culture we're not being challenged enough go away and come up with some way to put us through our paces uh i started off with a a session called brutal truths where people write on a post-it note the thing that they're thinking and nobody's saying oh god that would be terrible for me (laughs) Jesus Christ. You only get only one. Imagine. Only one, Pippa. It's <laughs> only so much you can fit on a post-it now. Uh, I write quite small. So we gathered we gathered all these and it's like, these are the challenges that the business faces that they see in their position. And it's like, okay, well, which of these things are you going to do something about? That's great. You know, I wonder whether this is a, a, a guy, a very, very clever Kiwi who I met in Australia, whose sons have become very successful and still clients. But he taught me this. He used to go into British business. It sounds not a million miles away what you're doing now, but I'm sure yours is much developed. This was quite a while ago. And he says, you British have got the problem with the room of the tea and collective decision-making, CEOs having a nervous breakdown, the marketing person's leaving. I've told the story many times, but it strikes me, is that how you see the UK, that actually we're not very good at structuring businesses or is this a global... 
most most of the clients I work with are in fast growing businesses, and most of the people I'm working with are entrepreneurial. So you, you know, dyslexic or yeah. you know, disorganized, troublesome, visionary, uh, late for everything. But what they don't want to do is they don't. What's well, counterproductive to make them more organized, right? That's not what I do. I'm one of them. So I say, look, why don't we just work out where you're trying to go to? Let's get clear on the strategy and then what people we need to make that work. That isn't, you know, you do what you do best. Let's build a team to do everything else. So would you say entrepreneurs aren't generally managers? I think often they're awful managers. And often when I say that to people, they go, oh, that's okay then. But HR will take up so much of their time a lot well, of the time. Don't bloody let it. Have somebody else do that. Managing is a very difficult skill. You can learn bits of it, but you know, ultimately, it's a, it, it, it's sort of it would be unfair, but it, it almost falls into charm a lot of the time because at the end of the day, you've got to get someone to do what you want them to do, haven't you? You know, and charm gets you a long way. I think there's a difference between leadership and management, and I think CEOs, managing directors, leaders have to. They've got two things they need to do. They need to create a vision and sell a vision. Managers, on the other hand have to try and make themselves redundant by developing their people to do the stuff that they do. And what about look after the team? Managers. Managers got to look after the team. Managers look after the team. Because if, if you're the CEO, you've got a vision, where we're going, what we're doing, now I need to sell it to people, I need to sell it to the staff, I need to sell it to investors, I need to sell it to customers. That's the CEO's job. So the message being, if you're totally dysfunctional, get Dominic in, he will eventually sort it out. If I like you. <laughs> yeah. Because <laughs> it's hard work. Do you ever say you are just, you know, you look at a company and go, yeah, you're too fucking dysfunctional. It's never going to work. I don't uh, want to. Well, I did bring a CEO up a few years ago, having done a whole load of one-to-ones with people who were then due down on the farm the next day. And I said, don't come. Well, I said, your team fucking hate each other. And I don't know what's going to happen. And she said, oh. Has she not noticed? Oh, yeah, no, she knew. But, but she people thought. People think that that's business. People think, well, that's the way it is in business. It's like, no, it's not. You don't have to really like them. They don't have to be on your Christmas card list. But hate, but hate is just, that's yeah, yeah. tough. <laughs> I've stopped talking. Why? He's a yeah. <laughs> okay. Makes sense. Right. Right. <laughs> okay. And you're all He's here set with my wife. <laughs> and you're all here tomorrow. This is going to be really good fun. Do you use um, you know things like Miles Briggs and all that sort of? Do you try and categorize people's personalities a little bit in under stress as it is? Uh, I haven't used Myers-Briggs. A tool I use is Patrick Lencioni developed a new tool during COVID called Working Genius, which is the only tool I've found that looks at teams. And I find that useful because that says, is your mindset strategic or is your mindset more execution? Like functional. Yeah. And so like I get to split the room that way. And then what's your energy level? Are you more lean in or are you sort of more passive? And one of the things it talks about is galvanizing tenacity. So where does your dopamine come from? Do you get your dopamine from having an idea or finishing something? That's useful to know. Do you get your dopamine from getting people excited or putting the team together? And I want to know what role, because sometimes there's a clash between the job title people have got and their innate skill. What their skill set is. Yeah, so I've had sales directors who are amazing execution. Their job title, sales director, their profile is enablement, tenacity, and the market shifts and they've got to do a new go-to-market strategy so that their executive team are looking at them going, you're the sales director, it's in your job spec, we're expecting you to come up with a plan. He's going, it's in my job spec, they're expecting me to come up with a plan. Six months later, there's no plan because he hasn't got strategic, he couldn't invent his way out of a wet paper bag. 
But look, you've done really well. You've taken some companies here and built them up. So you obviously, you know, you know how to get to a teamwork together. You you know, you've come in and take companies and scaled them. And, and, and it's okay to get a company functioning. To get a company to go and do 30 million or something, it's pretty difficult, actually. You know, we're not great at scaling businesses. And you've mentioned one tool that you use. So obviously, you're a very capable person. You could go in and be valuable to a business. You know, any third party coming in with that kind of experience is invaluable because we're all so wood for trees. How much do you get involved in things like emotional intelligence? or telling people, you know, you should, you, you're going to need to put in some sort of HR system or that sort of stuff? I probably have about 64, 64 65 tools that I use all the time. Wow. And some of them we use more or less. But then there are lots of other, depends on the biggest challenge that they face. Sometimes actually the thing that will unlock is an introduction to somebody who does something else that I can see that would be really beneficial. Or maybe they need to hire somebody. And it's like, well, we need to fill this role. We should hire somebody. Let's go, let me help you hire somebody great to do this. So you will actually kind of present them with the solutions to things rather than encouraging them to work out what the solution is. You mean coach versus consult? Yeah. That sort of self-centered coaching thing. Yeah. It's all just questioning. Yeah, that's great, isn't it? Except they don't know what they're doing. <laughs> so they're never going to get there. Don't, don't hold you, back. Are you, meaning, are you meaning when people don't give you advice? I, I get very frustrated with psychology when they just listen. It's like, tell me what the fuck to do. I have know? an opinion. Yeah. And often I'll be asking people questions. To, it's much more powerful if people come up with their own answers, right? Yeah. But sometimes I'll go, do you just want me to tell you what I think? <laughs> and they go, yeah, please do. Shut up. Stop asking me questions. Just tell me what the it's answer is. It's 7.30, mate. I've been here since nine. Okay, so, and these tools, these 60, 65 tools, they could be just a technique or do they, and some are software or some are sort of... Uh, no, these are all just sort of ways to approach a problem. For example, say if you've got a big group of people and you want to go really quickly, one of the things that often we do is we get a team to build a behavioral charter. And so I could sit there in front of a team and say, okay, what do we think should be in a behavioral charter? And you get two people talk for half an hour and the other people don't talk and you don't get anything. So you might say, okay, well, we're going to do one, two, four, all. And you go, okay, write down your own thing, five things, which you need to, what behaviors would this team need to have to be a high-performing team? Write down your list of five. Now, next two minutes to compile it, put it together with the next person. So we do two, then you go, okay, now two twos come together as a four and then feedback or do it as eight. And so you can very quickly make sure that you get everybody's input and it doesn't get lost. The introverts don't get buried by the extroverts. It can be a real problem. I've seen it. I mean, the last place I worked was very like that. There was sort of quite a strong, uh, a number of strong characters in the partnership group. And they would be the ones that answered all the questions and did everything. And everybody else would say nothing. Yep. And I can remember we still laughed about it. One of my best friends who I used to work with, I passed him a piece of paper during a meeting that said, feel free to join in at any time. Because <laughs> he was just like, he had said, fuck all for the whole meeting. And normally he would phone in sick just before the meetings anyway, but he'd actually turned up. And he still laughs about it. But like, if people are really, like, frankly, scared of the really strong characters... Yeah. Which they can often be, particularly if they're absolute assholes. Yeah. Then it must be quite hard to get those introverts to actually come out and participate. Yeah. So then we might do, one of the things we might do is a talent assessment, because if they're an asshole, then their teams are probably assholes. And if they're a bully, their teams are probably bullies. Yeah. Yeah. And it's not just them, it's their entire function we probably don't like. How do you assess everyone as a bully? Well, you know, you can you meet them for a minute. Yeah, you talk to them on the phone or you talk to their peers and the peers go, he's a bully. What is a bully in a workplace? Well, it's like, you know, they don't let anybody speak. They think they have the right answer. They shut up. They shut people down. They won't take criticism. So it tends to be the whole, 
I'm the only one that does anything in this place. Yes, a strong opinion of their own importance and self-worth, indeed. There's a very interesting conversation around re- remote working. We had a very interesting interview with a guy who's worth a lot of money in uh, Canada, very clever, and he runs the biggest remote working conference. And we, we were saying, yeah, but in-person is better. But exactly this problem, he said, in-person meetings favor the strong characters. And there's a whole bunch of people that perform much better and successfully with asynchronous information, working from home, that they digest the analytical type people. So an office environment, he was saying, I'm sure it's great for you, Andy. I'm sure you have a great time in the meetings, but there's all sorts of people suffering. What do you feel about that? That specifically or remote work more generally? Well, does that mean that being a remote-only business may have some interesting arguments? We may get all these remote businesses run by introverts and all these non-remote businesses by extroverts. If I look at the clients that I work with who were, we've got one client who was remote first before the pandemic and remains remote first, although they are putting in hubs where people can cry, meet up. Have a cup of tea. (laughs) Have a beer. Have a biscuit. But if I then look at the clients who are back full-time and the clients who remain more or less remote, it was the introvert, extrovert nature of the CEO. So was the CEO prepared to run his company from his back bedroom in his pants or did he want to go and speak to human beings again? What, which one's better? The one who wants to go out? CEO needs to be extrovert. Doesn't sound like it's better or worse. It's just different modes of being. I think, I think it's meant that those introvert CEOs, it's given them a rationale for selling their office and not hanging out with their teams because they didn't want to. They never really wanted to do that in the first place. Yeah, it's interesting. But I do think that if you do have a dysfunctional team, then you need to fix that. And I'm sure, I know you can have dysfunctional remote-only teams easily. What would you say to businesses just to, to round up for your career? You give, give us your like, you know, top things. I'm in a business right now. I'm running a business company and I assume I'm struggling, I guess, in some kind of way. Or maybe I think I could always do better. Here's a, here's a quick things that people turn up and don't know the answer to. Why do people buy from you and not from one of your competitors? Nobody knows. All right. So, say they have no real sense of who their core customer is. They go, well, we've got lots of core customers. No, you don't. You've got one customer persona that probably buys from you at maximum profit. Who is it? And why do they buy from you? And why would they buy from you in the future versus your competitors? I'm yet to meet anybody, a client, prospective client who can answer that in any cogent way. So however successful they're being, they're leaving so much more opportunity on the table. They're wasting their time. Do you find your clients that come to you generally aren't? in their first 10 years anymore. Maybe they've been invested, sold on a bit and the managed, the original dreamers have gone and it's sort of that, that the company becomes a bit lost as a kind of... They're not my preference. My preference is entrepreneurial CEOs, not professional CEOs. Right at the start, let's smash it out of the and park. They, and they might still be, you know, they might be 10 years in, 15 years in and work the client we're working with tomorrow, you know, started the business 20 years ago. Don't tell that to entrepreneurs. They get very depressed when they realise that they're in it for the long haul. Because they all think they're getting out in five years. What do we all, I always say, I said it to someone yesterday, is 10 years, whenever I, a client seven. Son, God son, damn it, son, seven. suddenly doing really well, I always look up when we set the company up or whatever, it's always 10 years. Like when they're suddenly like, they got the big deal, you know? It's, uh, it's an overnight success 10 years ago. Yeah, totally. Always. Always. And now, a quick word from our sponsor. Business Without Bullshit is brought to you by Ori Clark, straight-talking financial and legal advice since 1935. You can find us at oriclark.com. Is there something that you think is bullshit in your industry and why? Yes. You shouldn't pay salespeople commission. That's bullshit. Why? 
because it, all the evidence suggests that paying people to do stuff doesn't drive the right behaviours or increase performance. I mean, we can do another one if you want, because I hate annual appraisals as well. No, no, let's oh, just finish. Yes. No, let's just finish. What makes a good salesperson in terms of their motivation? Does that matter? At yeah, all? so you can and you can interview for that. So the question you ask, which I got from the lady Jill Garrett, who used to run Gallup in the UK, she said, "You just ask him one question. Tell me about your best deal." And the money motivated people will tell you about their biggest commission check. And the best salesperson that you want to hire will say, "Tells you about a deal where they had a great impact on the customer." Yeah. And they got great satisfaction out of being able to solve a problem for a customer. That's the salesperson you go hire, not the guy who said, look at my commission check. Because then all the time you're trying to work out how to stop them selling something you don't want them to sell. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and the problem is, you know, the problem is, I'm a lawyer and I think about this from a law point of view. You know, I've had people in the past who are just like, I want to bill this client as much as I possibly can for the work I'm doing for them. But if you rape and pillage a client, they're not going to come back you know, they want a service where they feel happy. Yeah, if you can create great value, they'll pay loads of money for it. Why not annual appraisals? Is it, Are you going to, like, go, you should be appraising people every day? No, no, it's, I like to read books where, you know, people go, here's a myth, bust a myth, right? And so I say to people all the time, can you find me any evidence of anybody ever having their employee engagement improved, their happiness at work improved, or their productivity enhanced, by doing them an annual appraisal. So if you can't find me any evidence, it's just wasting everybody's time. Evidence is hard to produce, sir. If we're going to start asking for evidence, <laughs> I can't run my business that way. Don't, ah, oh, do that. It's a good idea. Oh, well, if we haven't got any evidence, it's like... Chatted, I was chatting to a CEO the other day and, and he was telling me how much he hated doing appraisals. And I said, well, I was in, how long does it take? And uh, we worked it out. It takes him a month, a year to do his appraisals. And I went, a month? Like, aren't you busy? And he's like, I'm going to scrap it now. I'm busy doing appraisals, <laughs> oh, it man. it takes ages. That's oh, a nightmare. Also, if you're anything like me, you can have a glowing appraisal, but there'll be one thing somebody says that's slightly critical and you then mull over it for the next year, mm. building up a massive amount of anger. <laughs> <laughs> do you employ people? Is it- I do, team of five. Team of five. Okay, all do the same thing as you or they no, support they you? they all do what I don't do so that I can turn up and do what I like to do and what I'm good at and just do that. Oh, you lucky bastards. He's managed to get... So you've got... You've got, you've got um, it's like If only India. I could work out what I like to do, that would really help. <laughs> yeah. Uh, read books and have baths, but I, I can't get paid for that. That's the problem. We did discuss that. No. Very wrinkly work, too. Yeah. Do you can test bath oil products, like one a day. You'd be yeah. an excellent yeah. bath oil tester. Yeah. Uh, So this is the five-second rule, Dominic. Uh, We are going to say a list of questions to get to know you a little better really quickly, and you've got five seconds to answer the question. Uh, DQ the music, please. What was your first job? Sweeping floors in a garage. What was your worst job? Working for an IT company in Glasgow. Really? Bloody Glaswegians, eh? Favourite subject at school? Woodwork. Oh, me too. I was shit at it, though. I thought I was good at the time, but anyway, sorry, I've got to move on. What's your special skill? Spotting patterns. Mm. What did you want to be when you grew up? No idea. Still don't. A blind deer. A blind deer. (laughs) A blind deer. Uh, What did your parents want you to be? I've got no idea what they wanted me to be. Happy, probably. 
That's what everyone says. Oh, it just makes me want to throw up. What's your go-to karaoke song? I have no karaoke song I don't sing. If you made me sing, I'd sing The Blade and Race is Tone Deaf, but it's only useful if I'm drunk. Okay. That happy answer, I'm sure the parents are screaming at the thing, I want you to be rich, so I'd be all <laughs> fucking right. <laughs> what, what do you think, I'm an idiot? You, want, you thought I wanted you to be happy? Anyway, um, that's where they went wrong, mum and dad. You didn't make that clear enough, as you should as a CEO of your family. <laughs> you should make it fucking clear that they need to earn a lot of money. Who's so, the CEO, the mum or the dad? I'm not saying. You say. You're going to say? Just curious. <laughs> it was my mother. Depends. Yeah, it depends. Mm. Depends on the family. Quite right. It's always, always the mum, almost always, because it is my wife. She's definitely boss, really. I'm the strategic advisor and sales <laughs> executive. <laughs> <laughs> uh, office dogs, business or bullshit? Business. Thank you, man. Thank you for that. Have you ever been fired? Multiple times. Okay. Ooh. Right, we'll have to have one of them. And what's your vice? Learning. Oh, oh, come on. I really am going to throw tell up me, if you say things me, like you've that. You've got to have a bad thing that you do, you know, like alcohol. I'll give bread. you a list. This bread. Like, bread. Bread. Love bread. My wife's one is bread. Yeah, well, one of the many. So this is where we give you 30 seconds to pitch whatever you want to pitch. Off you go. I do a weekly podcast called The Melting Pot. I chat to CEOs of successful companies and I chat to authors of management books that I thought were great when I read them, some of whom have been heroes of mine, like Fred Reichelt. And I've got a website, monkhouseandcompany.com, so if you're after some coaching, one of the things that really brings me joy is when people, it happens quite a lot, people ring me up or send me an email or message me and they say, Take my business from X to Y, sold it for 20 million, never spoken to you before, but all of the stuff you produce has been really, really helpful. So I thought I'd just ring you and say thank you. Oh, that's nice. So that's great. That happens all the time. That was lovely, but it was way over 30 seconds. <laughs> so we're going to have to penalise you. And <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Now. I got the whole thing. In yeah. fact, I'm not even a guest. I'm done. So there you have it. That was this week's episode of Business Without Bullshit. I'm Andy Uri. It's been a fantastic pleasure. Pippa Sturt, my co-host, D, our producer, who's... Thoroughly fed up and doing a pretty bad job this week. And Dominic, uh, we'll be back with BWB Extra on Thursday. Until then, it's ciao. 